Welcome to Jews on Film. My name is Harry Adensasser. I am a former Jewish film major and a current Jewish film podcaster. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Zana, video editor, documentary filmmaker, and I'm running for class president. So please vote for me. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate the laughter. Sometimes Harry doesn't give me much. So I'm trying out new things every episode. And uh, yeah. Uh, we are joined today by Gina Green and Lynn Harris from the Bintel Brief podcast. Welcome. And, Thanks uh, for having us. Thank you. We're here to discuss Olivia Wilde's uh, film, Booksmart. Uh, so before we get into the plot and everything about the film, I wanted to start out by asking you a few questions. Um, and this could be for either of you. Uh, so first off, why did you choose this film? Whoever chose it. I believe that was me. Yeah. Um, you know, I first of all, I loved it. And I remember when I first watched it, seeing the writers and being like, oh, likely Jew, likely Jew, likely Jew, <laughs> likely Jew, before I got into the film. And then all the Jewiness came full through to me. So I was like this. It, it felt like the perfect film for Jews on film to discuss. This is the perfect place to discuss it. I wanted to also ask as a follow-up question, sort of what was your relationship to Jewish film growing up? My relationship to Jewish film for most of my life was Woody Allen, right? Like (laughs) Woody Allen, like that's like, you know, his, his body of work. I mean, say what you will about the man and what we came to know, but I mean, you can't separate him from like Jewish, like he is so much of it, quite frankly. Yeah. Woody Allen. And then, you know, side of, side of Mel Brooks side of the kind of the type of humor and, you know, like anything with Alan Arkin or um, even like the Russians are coming like that kind of, that kind of silliness um, that was just this side of Monty Python. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, like yeah. which to me doesn't feel Jewish, but there was some, like there's something a little, like just this side of like on the sort of reality fantasy utter silliness divide mm-hmm. um is was for me the more the more jewish stuff like the russians are coming that that one i keep thinking of yeah interesting i, I, I think yeah. that's such an interesting answer because it you know raises something we always think about with these films but you know to you does a jewish film is it something that where that where there's sort of overt jewishness maybe in the cast and crew maybe in like the actual content of it or to you when you think of the concept of jewish film and we obviously don't have an answer we debate that every episode does it feel like a sort of a sense of humor a certain energy a certain mm-hmm. moral ethic to the actual film you know have you thought about that at all i think about it all the time honestly and, and it's both like- and yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's all and of it's the like above. Not, exactly. And it's also like not just because and, and we all also know that there are so many Jews in entertainment who made entertainment that was not Jewish. You know, that was just work, right. Right? or yeah. just inspiration. And in some explicitly other, like, yeah. let's of all the Christmas songs, you know, um, mm-hmm. so so it doesn't just mean that like, oh, I can tell someone like not everything made by a Jew feels Jewish. Right. But there are many things that feel Jewish that aren't explicitly they don't even say the word like the word book smart, which were, I mean, like the right. movie book smart, which, you know, um, doesn't even have even the sort of incidental. I was thinking about Love, Simon, where mm. uh, where like the, the, the guy is just happens to be Jewish and they just happen to have a Hanukkah scene, which I loved um, because, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm like, you know, 
stealing the talking stick now, but Gina knows that I talk about this all the time. There's like so few representations in pop culture of mainstream liberal Jews just doing Jewish things and it's no big deal. You right. know, it always had to be, you know, it without was, a Strymel and Payas, right? Exactly. Right. It had to be yeah. either that or it had to be like, it's always the thing where the observant person comes into the ER and can they give her a pig valve? Right. Like, oh, I remember that. It's yeah. not yeah. a thing, you know, so yeah, like, right, and, and, you know, where, where, where is the images of just like a couple of Jews lighting, lighting Hanukkah candles and there's no jokes about how like Yiddish is whimsical, you know, like I, I just, and so I appreciated that in, um, in in love simon and other things that are starting to happen but when we were growing up speaking for myself that was not a thing so we the 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 jewish films that we had to love were the ones that either were jewish or felt jewish right things like uh like fiddler and stuff like that absolutely yes which we still have not covered so you know well you can have my kids on for that one because i remember at the very end we watched the old one you know Mm -hmm. and at the very end they're like you know they're leaving they're they're singing far from the home i love and everyone's you know we're all a mess and my kids were little and one of them they're leaving they're going to you know siberia and um and one of my kids says to us what but don't they have cell phones (laughs) (laughs) as the tears flow <laughs> oh man um well thanks it's good to have that context as we kind of like dive deep into the to the film that we're talking about today book smart um but i do feel like it's time harry it's time, it's time for the imdb summary that's it um i will i will get us going so it you reads a thing for that i think What's that? The IMDb summary and like oh. a look like a like a slate or like a <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well, I didn't like an effect. I like that. Yeah. All right. So here it goes. The IMDb summary. On the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realize they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. <laughs> Pretty accurate uh, summary, don't you think? Yes. I'd say so. Yes. yes. Awesome. So everyone, hang on. We'll be right back. We'll take a quick break and we'll discuss the plot of Booksmart. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with Lynn Harris and Gina Green of the Bintel Brief podcast to discuss Booksmart. Harry, you want to kick off the plot for us? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, the movie starts out and we're introduced to our lead characters. It's Caitlin Devers playing character of Amy. Beanie Feldstein is playing Molly. And uh, basically the, the movie opens up. Amy picks up Molly on their last day of school and we kind of introduce them. We learn about their bedroom, their friendship. They have a real, you know, amazing sort of bond and energy to them. And uh, and they go to school and it becomes immediately clear that they are the the people like the real. I mean, they're the book smarts, right? The, the, the bookworms are the people that really care about that stuff. And they're in a school full of people on the last day of high school who very reasonably, you know, have stopped caring about any work or stopped caring about anything. And, you know, we get a, a handful of comical scenes. You know, they in one scene, Molly, who's the school president, tries to talk to the principal about, you know, handing off the, the finances for the student budget next year to like the incoming president. And he's just like and he played by Jason Sudeikis is just like, Gosh, really? Like now? What? I mean, why don't you do it with Nick? You know, please. I mean, he's, he, you know, he's the vice president. Nick? 
know that Nick only ran for VP because they planned the dances. That position is, it's basically a popularity contest. He's useless. Ladies, it's the last day. You know, we did it, huh? We got you through high school. Can't we just graduate, head off to college, you know, celebrate this wonderful achievement, and let's focus on getting through the rest of the day without anything I'm sorry, horrible are you shutting the door on okay? us? Because that's not settled. Clearly, you know, these two characters just care about this stuff more than anyone else. And we see they do have one ally in the school. They have a teacher, Miss Fine, who they're very close with, who does the crossword puzzle with them. And we see kind of their relationship. And, you know, Miss Fine gives them their number, gives them her number to kind of chat, you know, beyond high school. But we're kind of established, you know, who these two students are basically apart from the rest of their school. And we go through the day a little bit. We kind of meet up with them at lunchtime. Amy talks about having a crush on and fellow student Ryan, and they don't know if Ryan is, you know, out as gay, but Amy is. And there's this question of, you know, it, Molly's trying to push her to pursue her. And, you know, again, we just, we're just kind of building the world a little bit. We're learning these relationships, but the real uh, sort of drama of the movie starts up a, a couple scenes later when we find Molly, she goes to a bathroom and uh, she goes to the bathroom and basically while in a stall in one of those sort of classic, you know, bullying setups, she kind of is witness to overhearing the, uh, the cool kids in the school basically talk down about her and they're being you know very rude to her and talking about how you know none of them would ever want to hook up with her and that you know she's cares way too much about school and it's ridiculous and she's you know no fun and she's so boring to talk to and you know molly kind of takes this all i wouldn't say quite in stride she's clearly hurt by it but kind of storms out of the stall and, and announces you know well i'm going to be going to yale and i'm going to be doing way better than the rest of you so you know you can have your fun not caring lives while i'm going to be successful and one of the threads that we kind of have had learned about earlier was that in that school they had a policy in place where they don't discuss what school they're going into so her kind of admitting this was was the first time that she was talking about it and she doesn't know where anyone else is going and it's kind of revealed very quickly that the three you know jock types that we see in the bathroom all themselves got into great schools including one of them who actually is in Yale also and is going to be a classmate of Molly and Molly kind of learns this and it, it shatters her entire belief system. You know, she had this belief. I can't have any like fun. I can't do any of this schoolwork. I, sorry, any of this sort of outside of schoolwork. And I have to focus on this because I'm going to do much better. And for her to kind of be met with this realization that other people in her school were able to both have fun and also do it sometimes, you know, as well as her, sometimes almost as well as her in terms of, you know, getting into schools kind of sends her into this, you know, major tizzy. And we can stop there with that sort of major realization <laughs> that sets off a lot of the plot. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a good place to stop because that's sort of our inciting incident. She sort of realizes that yeah. all is not what she imagined. Um, I wanted to work backwards maybe and sort of say like the people that you called jocks here, it's very interesting. They're not like traditional jocks. I didn't see any Letterman jackets in this film. They're all kind of like alternative cool, but very mm -hmm. popular. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. very I, I loved that it wasn't uh, it was just all sorts of different people in the film. Like everyone looked really like modern. And, you know, you compare it to like Clueless, where everyone kind of looked the same. Um, Clueless was another film that we covered before, but also takes place in high school in the early 90s. And I'm like thinking but about Beverly the two Hills, as, right. Yes. Yeah, yes. So that's Hills. that's yeah. different in terms yeah. of like how people are looking and showing up just. Sure. I mean, I grew up in the valley, so I, I, I this, you know. this to me felt closer than, you know, than uh, than Cher's high school experience in Beverly Hills, uh, which was also a little bit exaggerated. But um, yeah, yeah I, I thought it was a great way to open it. I love the opening. I put in the notes here, the dancing scene where they're oh. dancing with the yes. carpool. I just loved yes. it. I mean, the fact yes. that they're so simpatico that they are like finishing each other's dance moves and handing it off and the bumper stickers on the beat up Volvo. I'm here yep. for it. So, yep. yeah. 
That was it, the moment that I knew I would love the movie because that is the moment you know that this movie is not going to make fun of those characters. Right. Yes. That like we knew instantly that they're the, that they're like more like you you knew for like just in like from the from the jump that they're going to be like the dweebier ones or whatever. But that dance scene was so loving and they were so sweet and, right. and it was, we knew that it was not going to be a movie that makes fun of its nerds. Yep. Yeah. And and it was highlighting like that the joy of nerddom too and when i want when i was watching it for the first time i was like oh shit this was like me in high school except i didn't go to a big public school i went to a small prep school so like i was surrounded by people who were sort of like me but that was me i was the kid who took over the newspaper in junior high and nobody wanted to fucking do it with me so when i put out the newspaper by myself everybody's like gina oh my god so like i know what it's like to be the overachiever and it was uh-huh. great to see overachievers get to be in yeah. the spotlight like that did you exactly also awesome. try to run uh, the finance numbers with your principal on the last day of school <laughs> no on the last day of school last day of school junior year i got pulled into the principal's office the headmaster's office with my um yearbook co-editor megan to tell he told us one of you guys has to give up a publication because between the two of us, Ooh. we monopolize the yearbook, the lip mag and the newspaper. Incredible. And wow. so he was like, one of y'all's got to give it up. That's you're, what you're I like got Gannette. called. <laughs> right. We were. Yes. You're like yes. Paramount or whoever. CBS. We were a media conglomerate yeah. Yeah. in 1995. <laughs> yeah. Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to jump in on, on some of the comparisons we were making to Clueless, which I think is a good counterpoint. But there are better ones, I think, from that era of these sort of, you know, 90s okay. films that have like what we're responding to. I think these sort of classic characters of the jock types and the nerd types and the way sure. that all of those are kind of like looked down on in different ways. And I think this movie is very intentionally subverting that from the get-go like we were saying the way that it's so sympathetic to our two you know sort of nerd types and the way it's really you know encouraging them but even these like you know like you were fair to call me out on that sort of jock type and no one saw it but i did put it in quotes so i I kind of was aware of that (laughs) exactly for the podcast but but i agree with you because i think I mean, even in that scene, it's revealed like they were successful at getting into school. But later on in the movie, like they're also very kind, sympathetic characters, obviously with their flaws, obviously their issues. But, you know, I'll I'll get into this now because I I had something that like I was going to say, but the sort of, you know, book smart, the name is is a big you know question like where does it come from? And obviously these characters are book smart. They're developing their street smarts. But, you know, I definitely think there's a big part of like the judging a book by its cover. And I think that starts Mm -hmm. with, you know, Molly and Amy and the way that they see everyone else because Mm -hmm. they just assume everyone else is like, I think the characters that we've all grown up watching, you know, in in older like movies and stuff, but this whole book is just, unraveling the layers and not not subverting it it's not that everyone is the opposite of who they are but it's that you you can be both you can be cool and popular and enjoy partying but at the same time be a good person a good student and you know go further and i think that's all just established and subverted very quickly in those opening scenes I yeah. think, Harry, to your point, you were talking about layers. I think that that's one way to think maybe of what makes a film feel Jewish or Jewy, right? Is multi is is multi layers, right? And mm-hmm. having sort of like a little a little a, a little the comedy stuff going on, right? Like exactly. different yeah. types of conversations happening at the same time turns like we saw the development of some of these characters over the course of the film right some of the jock likes we get to see a different side of them over the course of the time too right the other thing i think is is that we sort of feel i think is jewish sort of from the get-go and you when you start to see even in the, the that first set of scenes including the inciting incident when you see that there are 
you know, that they're nerds, but they're not losers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like Glee, you know, where there's yep. absolute divides. And, um, and they're outsiders, but they're not entirely like they know the, like the, the yeah. other folks talk to them and they mm-hmm. have um, sort of feisty comebacks. They're not like, and they actually engage with each other, the, you know, the, you know, Amy Molly and the other ones. And, and you can tell from looking at, 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 you know, the, the way they cast Beanie Feldstein, like she, you can, I'm, okay. You can just tell she's supposed to be Jewish. They don't make it a thing, yeah. But, yeah. but regardless, you know, she's the consummate there, like, social outsider like she doesn't have the you know she doesn't have the athletic body um for it well i mean look you can be an athlete with anybody let me rephrase that you know she doesn't have the you know classic tall and typical yeah typical blah 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 um which they reference in the later barbie scene of course (laughs) oh yeah Exactly. Um, and, you know, she's a social outsider for it. She looks and acts like a social outsider, which is like the paradigm of the Jews. You know, like she's in the mainstream. She's at the school. She's in the regular yes. high school, mainstream public high school paradigm of social outsider, but still part of it, you know. And so she's and I, I don't want to sort of spoil the ending yet, yet. Sure. But, like, <laughs> but I think as a starting point, we'll see how that evolves. We've already we've hinted at it. Right. But as a starting point that's to me like the minute she walks in she doesn't just like look like an individual or 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 feel like an individual jewish character to me she feels like she represents the jews you know Mm -hmm. in 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 that way in that inside outside yeah um um, persona love it yeah yeah i i I think that's a really interesting point and i think just that sort of people of the book and that you know that concept of the book smart of the very scholarly like that is her kind of silo that i agree that she kind of finds herself trapped in that she represents and you know a lot of this movie is about her kind of learning to explore life outside of it without ever giving that up you know without ever abandoning that sort of core of who she is Mm -hmm. yeah i should i should mention that the the movie is in, loosely inspired by this picture book called Kate and Mona in the Jungle by Amy Aitken. And so I kind of read through the book and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But essentially, it's a, it's a story about two girls who go out in the jungle with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches packed in their bags. And then they <clears throat> they find an elephant at the museum who is a statue and it comes to life and it takes them through New York City through the desert. And then they go to the jungle and encounter all sorts of animals. So I thought I thought that sort of device of being able to go from point A to point B in a series of different scenarios, like really translated nicely into this film. And so to sort of segue clumsily into our next couple of plot points, you know, uh, after Molly discovers that everyone is, is everyone is going to this really prestigious colleges and things like that and going to Google and stuff like that, they decide that this is it. We're going to be like them. We're going to party. We're going to have fun. We're going to have our cake and eat it too. So they decide that they're going to go to Nick's house. Um, this is like an end of year party. Problem is they don't have the address to Nick's house. So they're going to figure out, um, you know, how to get there. It's, yeah. It's a bit of a mess, but uh, so they, they're, they're doing a sleepover at Amy's house and Amy's parents played lovingly by Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte. Um, Hilarious. Yeah. Great. Just yes. Yes. So good. I love it. Um, they call up their friend, Jared, who's played by Skylar Gisondo, a Jew. Jewish. I looked it up. Uh, yeah. Also His name is Jared. A Jewish character, but we'll get to that. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. So they call they call Jared, who's sort of in, in our telling of the story, at least he's this very 
affluent, out of touch kid, or at least, you know, there's all this stuff about him. You know, it's, it's again, what we were talking about, you know, reading people by judging the book by their cover, right? So he presents as this very, he's always got the chains on and he's got these extravagant outfits. Um, and they, you know, so Jared picks them up and takes them to a party, but he takes them to his party, which is on his yacht. Um, and, you know, he's got gift bags filled with iPads <laughs> and he's playing DJ and he's got waiters and, uh, you know, Amy and Molly. Go- was there an ice sculpture there? There was, yeah. Yes. An ice tiger, I believe. It's <laughs> Yeah. And it turns out that they are the only ones at the party because his friend Gigi is there who we'll talk about in just a second. I want to touch on her. She is supernatural and something else. I think that's my read on it. But, uh, you know, they they are a little confused as to why there's no one else here, but they end up hanging out. They um, eat strawberries from Gigi. Gigi force feeds them some strawberries, which we later find out are dosed. And uh you know, ultimately their goal is to still go to, to Alan's house, but Amy says, uh, or Molly says the magic word Malala, um, which is their code word for like, you need to trust me on this, please let's go. Um, so I'll stop here because I did want to talk. There's a few other scenes that I want to touch on, but let's pause here and let's talk about the boat scene. Um, Lynn, you were just talking about Jared. Uh, could you you want to touch more on that about how oh, he's yeah. portrayed? I mean, <laughs> in the wrong movie, in the wrong hands, he would have been a nightmare anti-Semitic stereotype. Mm-hmm. Nightmare. Yeah. Um, but like to some degree, he's that, but you know, but but because it's done beautifully, first of all, he's fully that guy from Jewish Youth Group. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fully that guy. And in my case, growing up in New England, that guy was Adam Sandler. Fun fact. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, but like actually Adam Sandler. Story. That's a whole other story. But, um, cool. Um, yeah, um, we'll have to run this through legal before we air it. But then, um, but you know, that guy who's like, like, like the guy who's always like, oh, Josh, you know, like that uh-huh. guy. Sure. Right. Yep. We know that guy. Yep. He's that guy. But, um, and so again, in the wrong hands, disaster, I would have, I would have, you know, left or paused or, you know, paused, the, whatever, you know, uh, sent back my rental, whatever it is. Um, sure. But he's so, and there's even that scene and it's even Jews with the money, right? There's even that, yeah. that moment where he's like, yeah, money can buy you love, you know, but because right. already like, so um, like his first scene is so adorable as yeah. opposed to um, grading. I mean, he is grading, but you, but you, but you yeah. root for him. He's like an, he's like yeah. a, a, just a, a hilarious anti-hero that the movie treats with love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the sympathy, the shirts, the shirts, they like the Escher shirts, but in any case, like he even says that thing about money can buy you love, but you just have so much pathos for him. You know, you're like, you just yeah. have all this Rahmanas cause you're like, okay, who, like, where are your parents? This is what you learned. You know, you're doing your best. You're so uh-huh. nice. The whole, yeah. Oh my God. This he is very nice. Yeah. Sanford, some tunes going. Random House Audio presents Lean In, Women, Work, and okay. the Will to Lead by Cheryl That's embarrassing. with Nell Sovet. I have this thing where I like to hear the words of powerful women before I party to remind myself of the respect and awe you ladies deserve. Internalizing the revolution. I got pregnant with my first child in the summer. Well, I'll get some peppy going. We'll get this party started, huh? And he's not slick. So you then you all, he also doesn't read like one of those guys who just, you know, reads Adrian. Like Rich. Andrew McCarthy or like right. Rob exactly. Lowe. Exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. You know, you know, uh, uh, you know um, Catherine McKinnon just to get laid. You know what I mean? Yep, so sure. um, anyway, so I just think that they, that's, that's one where I think subvert is, 
like, again, they haven't flipped the character, mm-hmm. but they've taken a character and given it more than three dimensions. Like right, exactly. Dimensions. Yeah. They've nuanced it for with him, and you the sympathy is engendered immediately. Like, he comes on scene, and right there, you know that, like, he's, uh, he's that guy, but he's that guy, but not quite that guy. Like, you mm-hmm. know that. And the script, and, and his acting just gives, like, he plays the hell out of that role. Yeah, he's such a he's yeah, he's a sweetie. I think like he's also has this sort of like baby face look to him where he doesn't have this like threatening pervy vibe that some of these like, you know, Breakfast Club and and, like the Rat Pack era or Brat Pack era, you know, actors had. I think, um, yeah, he's just very innocent. Um, For me, I read Gigi, who is his friend, as this sort of I call I tell I was telling Harry, like she has like this almost like supernatural Dybbuk vibe because she just like. You know, she ends up, uh, you know, for context, she after giving them the strawberries, she just like chit chats and she has like a really hard time on the top deck. They're smoking a cigarette and then she just like jumps off the yacht. But then she, you know, she comes back later on several times throughout the film and she's just like this presence <laughs> that just is always you? there. Right. Inexplicably. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. Respect for the film for never for no payoff. Like yeah. no yeah. answer, respect. They yeah. were just like, she's just gonna be, she's just, yeah. you know, she's just a Greek chorus, you know, right. who just is always there. Greek chorus is the wrong thing because Greek chorus tells you to do the right thing. She's a she's a different kind of influence. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy that yeah. well, I'm happy that you mentioned that because I was also like Daniel, you called her a divic, you know, has a lot of negative yeah, connotations. Sure. And like part of my read of her was like this almost guardian angel that's kind of oh, pushing okay. them along sure. their paths. Cause mm. it's it's there's no obvious, you know, positive influence necessarily. I mean, that she, she drugged them. <laughs> yeah, again, like right, a, against their will. Awful, awful. Like a guardian angel. Like, like a mischievous demon. I don't know. That's but, 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 right, right. but that's the right guardian angel for the purpose. Yeah. Of, oh, sure, to get right? messed like, up to get exactly. in that headstone. Sure, sure, sure. That, exactly. That's exactly where I was going to go with that's that, right. which is that's like, right. yeah, she, her, her actions are very questionable, but right. she absolutely like pushes them in directions of like confrontation. You know, that that drug hallucinogenic scene, like obviously no one, it's awful to drug someone against their will, you know, out of context, but like in the movie and the whole sort of journey that they go on, like that brings up some of their most emotional conversations. And that's where they kind of confront their own insecurities. And that brings up, you know, the conversation where Molly later admits to her feelings for Nick. Like a lot of that is motivated by this person who's just, who's just everywhere always. And like, like the one in the fairy tale with the pouch of magic beans. Right. I was going to say she sprinkles, she's sprinkling things throughout the film. And right. Yeah. Well, we're introduced in that first scene. She has her magic powder, which like is obviously supposed to look like cocaine. And she says that it's her vitamins. Uh, And that powder kind of explodes in the faces of Molly and Amy and pushes them on. It starts them on their journey. Like it is that magic powder. You know, she really is this angelic character. She reminded me of this, uh, this sort of figure that's involved in that. My friends and I all know kind of when I, when I spent the year studying in Israel and in Yeshiva, there was this rabbi who was famous for literally being everywhere all at the same time. Like we we (laughs) called him the teleporter Rebbe for that reason, (laughs) because like you could be visiting your friend at some Yeshiva hanging out, you know, he's there, he says hi. And he knew everyone. He was, like to his credit, I don't know so much about him, but he was so friendly. He said hi to everyone, you know, whatever. But you would see him at one yeshiva. You'd go on a bus for an hour and a half, end up in like, you know, Jerusalem, downtown, whatever. And he'd be there already just kind of hanging out. Whoa. Like really <laughs> same as the Gigi vibes. And I don't have an answer for you there. Like that's just one of life's mysteries. People used to say maybe he was one of like a triplet and like they were just people who went mm. around. So I don't know, but, it's but so that's the vibe that Gigi got. 
the way you tell it, it sounds like um, teleport is a village in Latvia. So he's like the teleporter. <laughs> he's the teleporter. Exactly. That's probably where the name comes from, for sure. <laughs> Amazing. But my read on on someone like you know that that's kind of informing my read on Gigi because like he wasn't this nefarious person. He was this amazing person who we just said maybe his you know goal yeah. in life was just to be a familiar face for people yeah. and friendly yeah. and everywhere, and that's why he was everywhere. So Gigi, like she's just sending them on their journey. She's right. supposed to be this sort of mysterious. Her methods yeah. aren't obvious. She's not on the nose saying you know you two should really talk about you know whatever the journey that you're going on but in her own way she really is that sort of you know catapult for almost every major step of their journey you know and you could argue oh go ahead gina i was just going to say that you know jared and Gigi feel like the most misunderstood oh totally like they're like the like like Mm -hmm. they're the reflection that is out there in the world is the least truly reflective for them than mm-hmm. for any other character. And so them being sort of the agents of the journey, literally and figuratively, right? Like they're in Jarrett's car, right? Yeah. At certain yeah. like at key points. So that it feels right that they're the ones who are sort of making that possible. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. The way it's a journey reminded me, I mean, obviously this every, you know, every movie is a journey at some level, but it all there's a sense in which like you were we were talking about like the Jewish films of our childhood and all that stuff. And classic Woody Allen, whatever there's, this is in, in one sense, this movie is really a road movie, uh, yes. a buddy movie. And a road movie Journey. Definitely. Which, right. Which is, which is not a Jewish, like, I don't th- like a lot of the Jewish quote unquote air, you know, uh, air quotes on a podcast um, movies <laughs> that we talk about, talked about are, you know, very much like, I would say like drawing room movies, you know, where mm-hmm. like people talk a lot at brunch or people talk a lot at Katz's or people talk a lot in the, you know, in their, on the Upper West Side, um, in their, in their um, apartments with really long hallways. And rent controlled, uh, rent controlled. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, I mean, obviously. Of course. And so, of course. and so in that sense, um, and all of their, you know, getting from point A to point B from the pizza, you know, the pizza guy and the, you know, um, it's that that's one sense in which it's not constructed, it constructed um, as uh, some of the other movies we might consider classically Jewish right. because totally. that rely more on talking than than um, plot and action and uh, journeying journeying. Yeah, I, I think that works perfectly with what you were saying earlier about Molly sort of being this figure, the stand-in for the Jews, because she seems like the type that wouldn't have gone on a crazy journey like this, that probably would have, you know, what, what was their other plan that they wanted to do instead? They were going to, like, watch something, yeah. like, at home? We were going to watch that Ken Burns thing. The dust bowl can wait, bitch! What took the- but that's, like, because that's what they want. They want just the night in talking, you know, talking about this movie, taking in this content. Like, that, I agree with you, would be much more of the sort of Jewish construct of this film. And a lot of this movie is kind of pushing them out of their comfort zone and and sending the otherwise sort of Jewish, more insular character onto this, you know, journey that like was never supposed to be a journey. It was supposed right. to be an, an Uber ride straight to, you know, straight the to part. the party. And it just becomes this, you know, endless night that, you know, we're only a quarter of the way through. Right. That's what I was going to say is let me get, let me, let me blaze through a couple <laughs> more of these set pieces. Setting you up. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, speaking of ride shares, uh, you know, after Jared's party, they get an address from Alan and they they hop into a, a ride share. And it turns out that the driver of their car is their principal. I, I guess I, on their way over, they decide to watch some porn so that Amy can learn how to, to to be with another woman because she hasn't had that much experience, which is something, you know, again, book smart reading the book as it's covered, like, I think there's a lot of people in this movie who we assume have done things or are a certain way and 
Mm. The more we think about it, they're actually not this way. Um, you know, so there's like a funny scene where they're playing porn on the speakers. Love it. You know, I think that when they show up next at this sort of murder mystery party, we, we obviously get to, uh, enjoy, uh, the drama nerds. I just, I love all that. It's amazing. You also know, Jewish, uh, like back Noah Galvin partner of famously Jewish Ben Platt. No, totally. Yeah. I think yep. this is, this is sort of where the, uh, the strawberries kick in that they've had previously. And, uh, I believe they wake up and they discover that they're Barbie dolls. Um, so they're both kind of walking around in this room, looking at themselves in the mirror, um, sort of walking around like dolls and having these like deep sort of discussions, like you mentioned, Harry, about themselves and finding out a little bit more about themselves. But I thought that was like a fun set piece. And then from the murder mystery party, they are trying to do more research and really their ultimate goal is to find out where Nick's party is. They still have not found it out, but you know, they're going to this library, they're opening up books and maps and things like that. And then one of the characters just like takes out her phone and shows a video of Theo is punching a bunch of pizza boxes. And then they realize that they can go to the pizza store and maybe ask the person directly. Uh, so then they make their way over to Lido's pizza uh, Mike O'Brien, who's like a former <laughs> SNL uh, cast member and writer. And uh, he, he, I believe he created AP bio. It's a pretty funny guy. And so, so, so Molly and Amy decide that they're going to cover their hair in sort of a ski mask situation, which is a uh, very, very clumsily thought out this whole thing, but, and he calls them out on it, but essentially he is forced under duress, but not under gunpoint uh, to, to give up the address of where Nick's house was, uh, you know, where the party is and everything like that. And uh, after he gives them the address, I think they're like, oh, great. Can we have a ride? And, and he's like, no, get the fuck out of my car. I thought that was like a very like funny sort of, you are children. What are you doing in a car? I actually have a gun for people. You should not be doing this. Get out. And so then they call uh, Miss Fine, who's like the cool teacher, played by Daily Show correspondent, Jessica Williams. And, uh, you know, she gives them, she's sort of, gives them a pep talk. They have a chat about things and, you know, she gives them these like beautiful outfits. So they are able to change out of their, I believe we haven't mentioned before, but they are on this whole sort of quest so far. They're wearing these sort of very basic blue jumpsuits, sort of Rosie, the Riveter vibe, very, they're just like, <laughs> you know, utilitarian outfits. But then when they assume their final form in this sort of like shiny outfit situation. Uh, they show up, they roll up to Nick's party and they are all dressed up to the nines, ready to confront their crushes and make things happen on the last night of school. I will pause here and let's have a little chit chat about all the stuff that I talked about so far and, and any thoughts leading up to Nick's party. Ms. Fine, also Jewish. We don't know. A question mark. We don't, we don't know. know. Oh, I because don't know. of the name. Oh yeah. Because of the name. That... Interesting. Yep. Thought about that. I love Jessica Williams and she can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. The only thing wrong with her in this movie is that she didn't have enough in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, she was great. You know, I actually, I'm curious. <laughs> I have a question about for y'all in terms of, you said, Daniel, that you really enjoyed the scene in the car with, um, in the lift, right? Oh. And I'm like, did everyone find that scene equally amusing? I'm, I'm just just curious if everyone found it super funny. You really liked it. I mean, I thought it was like a fun gag because I feel like a lot of these, like, I feel like if you're a teen watching this movie, there's nothing more embarrassing than like watching porn and especially having your principal be the driver. That's yeah. like this sort of cringe humor. 
I think that sort of sentiment of being like so embarrassed by like sex and just being, I think that to me was like the funny part. I was once in high school and I understand just this sort of, uh, you know, this sort of nervousness about it. And, yeah, you know, having your parents, you know, we talk about that later on with the panda bear and the mom kissing the panda <laughs> bear on the face and stuff like that. So, so that happens later on and they have a similar, you know, reaction to it. But I think, you know, the principal of your school, yeah, the awkwardness of it all sort of was the yeah. funny part to me. Yeah. Lori Kilmartin, the standup has a hilarious joke when she, she talks about, she says, you know, I'll paraphrase. I won't get it as good as her, but as good as she does. But she says, you know, if I, she has a teenage son and she says, you know, um, people ask me, what will I do if I catch my son watching porn? And the answer is, I'm going to sit down and watch it with him. um you know obviously she has she has some tags and add-ons about how like that'll stop him you know right uh, right. exactly (laughs) every time he sits down to watch it he'll you know anyway here's mom and the reason why i asked that question is because i think for me as a parent of teenagers Mm -hmm. i had like a like i've been sort of lamenting that kids these days can find videos and tutorials. They don't have to suffer like I did Mm -hmm. (laughs) and old folks and sort of learn this shit on your own without Mm -hmm. a video guide. There was a little part of me that was like, I sort of saw it in that moment, watching it happen. Like, oh, that's actually true. My kids don't have to Mm -hmm. wait and fumble and guess you actually can get pretty <laughs> explicit instructions and sure. tutorials these days that were not possible before yeah. now. Yeah. I think the movie is like, and I think this scene plays into it, but it really is making the case for these people who are so book smart and who know how to research really well and know how to go to the library right. and can, you know, pull up the porn whenever they want to watch it. Like, I think it's making the case for it actually living out in the world and having that experience, you know, like they don't walk away from that scene kind of solved. And obviously when, you know, when we actually see the sexual scene that happens later in the movie, like she clearly, you know, Amy clearly hasn't, you know, figured everything out yet. So like, exactly. So I think the movie itself is kind of jumping in there and saying like, you know, they, these people are so deterred, you know, so predisposed to think about how they can research it because like you're saying, everyone has phones in their pocket. They have the internet, they have libraries. There's so much access to all this information. And I think this scene plays really well with the, you know, later scene in the movie to say that you got to have that real experience and some things you can't create and you can't actually understand by watching yeah. it on the, on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Can't learn everything from a, a book or a book. Yeah. 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 I also just like the idea that now is the time when you're in the car with your principal to like pull this up is just like so no. far-fetched and Wasn't like ridiculous. Well <laughs> yeah, like totally. I mean, I saw like the moment he like handed her the cable and she's plugging it. I'm like, easy, easy. I thought there was going to be some sort of Bluetooth hijinks, but it was a direct plug-in situation. Uh, and yeah, it did not go well. I will say I'll give credit to, you know, Olivia Wilde because, you know, the director of the film, because she, as, as anxious and awkward as that scene could be, mm-hmm. she gives us one last beat where the principal kind of says like was that cardi b the relief i felt that he didn't know what they were watching and oh, then he yeah, kind yeah. of just like let them yeah. be i was like oh oh That's thank god that was I, I felt like that was yeah like a nice treat from olivia wilde so thank you for that he didn't yeah. know or he just like very skillfully gave them sort of a dopey out like right. let That's a good read yeah right coming out you know 100 like so amy and molly are finally at nick's party um i think they arrive you know they're kind of surveying the scene and i just like love that molly has this sort of like 
dazed look in her eyes as she sees Nick for the, you know, for the first time in this way in her attire. And then she has this sort of love. I, I love this sort of dance sequence where they're just like, like tangoing with each other and the lights. And it was just really like so well done. And oh, it was just very like for those who are, you know, not or have not seen the film yet. I would, this is like a, such a beautifully shot and executed and choreographed scene. They're both like silently, like ballet dancing and tango dancing and just like very romantically dancing with each other. But it's also a little hip, you know, it's not oh, just yes. like transformed into Paris in the, you know, 1890s. Oh, yeah. it's, it's still modern. So it just, it's really in that really house. Yeah. Real, but also fantasy and like my heart soared. I have to tell you, it's just the best. Yeah. And you, you you get the sense that Molly's a person who's never let herself feel that way. You know, right. I mean, she says it earlier. It's like, I can't like Nick, like maybe my body can crave him, but like, I can't actually do that. And it's like the first time she lets herself get caught up in it. And right. it's such a beautiful expression of that. Absolutely. Yep. So I think at this point, Molly and Amy have identified their, their respective crushes. You know, Amy's going to go talk to Ryan and um, Molly's going to go talk to Nick. So initially, Nick and Molly are playing beer pong and they're kind of flirty and chatty. And, and, you know, I've known you since you were a kid in third grade and da da da. And, and she really feels like it, this is it, like, this is going to happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's finally happening. And then he says, you know, he excuses himself and he says, okay, you stay right here. I'll be right back. And he disappears. And then, so we see um, Amy and she's talking to Ryan and they are sort of flirtatious and hanging out and it's good to do karaoke. What was her wording? She said something like, I'm so stoked you're here, dude. Thanks. I've always wanted you to come out. Oh, I, I am out. <clears throat> I came out in the 10th grade. <laughs> no, I didn't like come out and hang out on the weekend. Then Amy decides like, this is it. Everyone go, is going outside. The clothes are coming off. Everyone's just jumping in in their underwear into the pool. And so this is sort of her, her mikvah moment, her purification. She's going to jump into the water and she's going to be, you know, ritually purified, jumping in. And like, you know, it's very like otherworldly. She's, you know, jumping in the water. We go under with her. There's this like nice angelic lighting. And it's very, you just see like legs and arms yeah. and bodies just flow by. And she's just in, in amazement of what's going on. But she does come to the surface and she does see Ryan, who is Amy's crush, and Nick making out, who is Molly's crush. So the crushes are are hooking up with each other. And so Amy realizes that the, the shit hits the fan and she puts on her dress and she's going over to Molly and she says, this is it. I'm calling Malala. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to spend more time on this scene because there's a lot oh, sure. of party. We'll break it up because there's yeah. so much to cover here. Yes. But, you know, that underwater scene and you right away, you you were like reading like the, you know, the, the Midrash and like with the text, you know, like sure. the, the textual reading, she jumps there's into the no water. There's no other way like, to read it in my book. Exactly. <laughs> but the, like, the spirituality, so, yeah. the, the mikvah, I completely agree with your read of that. I mean, I the, first of all, that scene is, I think, spectacular. I was watching the movie again, you know, the other night and just like was so transfixed. Like it's so well shot. These, we didn't even talk about this, but the use of music in this movie, like oh. there's just Beautiful. a lot of you know yeah, what we call like needle drops that just like come in and this scene in particular like i can hear it right now it's just it's so cool but there's this amazing moment where like you know she runs out amy runs out with ryan to the pool and they're going to go swimming together and it's almost like I, we don't know how much time passes you know enough time that ryan was able to jump into the pool find nick right. and start making out with him which which could have been a you know a minute who knows but but amy kind of instead of just following ryan kind of forgets about her and just like enjoys herself in the water and is just kind of like you know like you said angelically just swimming through like looking at everyone else's legs kind of just 
you know, you, you have this moment of like relief. She feels comfortable. She feels confident in herself. Mm-hmm. She feels like this person. And, you know, like you were saying, Daniel, I, I agree with you completely that it's this, it's this rebirth, you know, and in mm-hmm. some ways, you know, the idea of water rebirth could be, there's a Christian read of it. There's obviously, you know, a Jewish sort of make the read of it, but you know, whatever it is, it's like, you know, that at this point she is not, you know, the meek person she was before, you know, right. th- throughout this entire journey, she, I'd say her more so than, than Molly was really like at every turn saying, you know, this is over. We're, we're not going to the next house. Like we, yeah. we've been to a party. We don't need to go to the next party. And then Molly was like, no, we're doing this, like whatever. And every step she kind of, you know, wasn't into it. And all of a sudden, you know, whatever in this moment, it, it's transformative. I don't need to say the same things over and over. I just, I thought it was a spectacular scene. Totally. And we don't know when Amy jumps in, you know, Olivia knew, Olivia Wilde knew, right? But we don't know. And, and Amy didn't know when she jumped in that she would come out of that pool a different person. Right, right, right. right. She very hesitantly kind of follows Ryan in. Exactly. I think this is sort of, uh, you know, Amy is trying to tell Molly, who still does is not aware of what's happened. She is blissfully unaware. She's waiting at the ping pong table for her for her love, Nick, to come back and sweep her off her feet. Uh, but Amy knows that that's not the case. She invokes the Malala code. I believe this is her first time, but Molly had invoked Malala before. Is that correct? Am I getting that yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah like so, yeah, they're, they're, this is when the shit hits the fan. They kind of have an argument with each other. And unfortunately, like everyone is just silently observing and filming with their cell phones. You see those lights in the background. It's brutal. Oh. I was like, oh, what is going to happen brutal. with these videos? This, this for me was was worse than the lift scene. You know, the lift scene with the porn. Yeah, that oh, was all yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh. I, I could not even watch this fight scene because you watch. see around the room, you know, one at a time, everyone's face kind of perks up. It was up a one shot like, too. They're just going back so and good. forth mm-hmm. and back mm-hmm. and forth and back and forth. Killer. And it was, yeah, it was oh, I, all this stuff that's been pent up in their, in their minds and, and hearts forever. And they just kind of let it all out. You know, I'm I'm not going for the summer to Botswana. I'm going for a year. Um, you always boss me around. You da, 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 da. it's all this stuff comes out, and it's it's again a question for everyone here. Going into the party and at the beer pong table, right when they like, did everyone have that sense of oh shit? Right. We all did. Everyone have the sense of like this is like is this going to work out or is this not going to work out? I'm curious what you were thinking, like when you first watched it. I love, I love that you ask it because I really did feel myself getting carried away with, I think Mm -hmm. like Molly, like Molly is a character who's never been to a party, has never really spoken to Nick outside of school and is having a conversation with him probably like for the first time ever. And all you see it in her mind, you know, when they're playing beer pong and they have undeniable chemistry, they're definitely flirting with each other. So charming. And you just get the sense that she is just like, this is going to happen. And like when ultimately he hooks up with someone else, like, I think yep. objectively we should say, I mean, that's who this guy is. Maybe he has a relationship with Ryan that goes back further than, you know, an hour. And I'm sure that they know each other. And like, right. they, it didn't make sense that all of a sudden Nick and Molly would be, you know, the perfect couple, but I totally felt myself getting, you know, getting carried away with it. And when the rug is sort of pulled out from under Molly, like I felt it pulled out from under me as well. I was like, Oh yeah, no, I get it. Like right. that wouldn't have made known. sense. But it, yeah. Right. But yeah. like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to believe that they wouldn't end up together. Yeah. No, that was where I was the Greek chorus of like, I, I, I enjoyed her enjoyment mm-hmm. when they're flirting mm-hmm. with you because you're right. It wasn't, he's not a predator. You know, he's, you don't, you do not yeah. get like 
like, you know, I I did not, as a woman, I did not get predator vibes from him, but I also knew, like, I also felt like the Greek chorus going, warn the maiden, warn the maiden. (laughs) Like like, I knew that he was going to be like, anyway, bye. Or worse, worse, they were going to hook up. And then later he'd be like, oh yeah, Molly, I just thought it was one of those like things. And I'd be like, bro, you know? So in that moment I was like, exactly. Right. Yeah. And for uh, you listeners, I was uh <laughs> describe what you were doing with your hands. It was uh it was nervous hands. Right. Um, Jazz hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. After this epic fight, Amy goes to the bathroom to sort of like blow off steam and just take a minute. And she's just relaxing, washing her face off. And then it turns out that uh Hope, who is played by Diana Silvers, also a Jew. In this film, she's playing the mean girl. Um, <laughs> we don't really see too much of her throughout except at this end scene in at the beginning, you know, she's sort of making snarky comments to, uh, to Amy and Molly, but they, they have a little chat with each other. And I think out of nowhere, Amy's like, this is it. This is my shot. So she goes in, she plants that first kiss and then they end up like another, hooking up with each other. Uh, and yeah. another great needle drop. Great song there too. What was the song? Do you remember? What was this? It's it's this guy Cautious Clay. I forget the name of the song, but I know that like my sister, shout out to my sister, got really into it afterwards. And she's okay. like, oh, this is the Book Smart song. And now whenever I watch that scene, I'm like, it actually is a good song. I'm yeah, I think I think this is probably the demographic for you, Harry. I feel like I'm a little too old to recognize <laughs> some of these songs. This, but, the song uh, is called Cold, it's called Cold War and Cold great War. song. Okay. okay. So this is the Cold War song there. <laughs> Fitting. Um, exactly. But yeah, I think uh, you know. They, they hook up with each other and it's a very clumsy sort of romantic situation. I feel like it's, it's very opposite from like the normal romance scenes where like it's very passionate and then the sheets go over and then we fade out. It's not that at all. It's like the awkwardness. It's the uncertainty. How do I get the shoes off? I got to unlace all your shoes. Let me pull off your jeans. It's very clunky and clumsy. And, you know, she's putting her fingers places and, you know, it's not the right place and all this stuff. Oh yeah. And then someone's knocking on the door. Uh, So she takes a break after she hope says, let's just cool it. Let's just take it easy for a second. So she grabs a drink, a cup right next to her and she just takes a drink and it's like filled with cigarettes. So she like picks out cigarettes from her mouth and she just gets super nauseous and ends up like barfing all over hope and hopes like that's it. We're done. We're done. Um, and she just says to get out. Like she's showering the vomit off of her as she shoots Amy out of the room. And I was just like, Oh, I felt so bad. Um, so then uh, Molly is by herself and she, you know, she sees Nick and Ryan hooking up and she's like totally hurt. Uh, and she's just sitting beside herself because her best friend is gone. And then she sits down and, and Jared comes with another, uh, I think he's still wearing the same outfit, but I just wanted to call out his like snake on his collar, you yes. know, biblical illusions, maybe, I don't know. Uh, nice. could be a stretch, but, uh, I think I, I liked that they had this chat in this moment of connection and he sort of is like, do people really think I like slept with a prostitute? Like I didn't, I didn't do that. I don't know why people say that. And yeah. you know, I want to design airplanes and I want to plan Broadway musicals. And he says this like lovely line about, I want to design fucking airplanes. Yeah, get rich off that and then use the cash to produce some new musicals. Enough with the revivals already, it's total bullshit. Audiences deserve something original, I think. This is the same guy who was like throwing a party on the yacht with the ice <laughs> sculptures, but he's actually like a, semi-deep person and has thoughts and so the cops show up you know and uh 
Molly ends up leaving, running out with everyone. And Amy decides that this is her moment. So she distracts the, the cops and runs out so that everyone can get out of the house. And she makes this sort of diversion. And as Molly's walking down the street, uh, she meets up with uh, AAA, as they call her. Um, she pulls up to the side of the road. Uh, they call her AAA because she provides roadside assistance. Uh, that's what the other uh, <laughs> in her class But say. a special type of roadside assistance. Right, exactly. But it's funny, you know, you think they were going to go sincere. So AAA is explaining to Molly, you know, people always say that I gave them roadside assistance. I mean... I did, but you know, she's like, you know, you want to be sympathetic to her for getting called that nickname. And then she's like, but I did do the things they said, you know, but who, but what's wrong with that? Like, that's what I was talking about in the beginning when I said, you know, the books are not like, you know, can't judge a book by its cover. It's not that the book you open it up and it's the opposite. Yeah. Like the cover gives you, it gives you a window Mm -hmm. into the book, Mm -hmm. but the book is so much deeper than that. And you can be that person from the cover, but also have a lot more depth and, you know, be a person and want to be called something else. Like that's what she said. She's like, you know, when we get to Yale, can you please, you know, refer to me by my actual name? Yeah. 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 I I loved it. I love that. It was like, you thought that I wasn't triple A, but I am triple A. But what's wrong with that? Like, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. The next scene we see, you know, Amy getting uh, handcuffed and marched out and she's saying. All right. Well, just so you know, I know my right. Oh, my God. There are more prisons than colleges in the United States. Did you know that? And it costs seventy one thousand dollars to house an inmate in California. It's more than Harvard. Well, this seems excessive. Shotgun. Just kidding. I don't have one. You know, to so the morning after we wake up, Molly wakes up and she realizes that she's late for her graduation but she does see all these like messages that amy was uh sort of the hero of the class last night because she basically saved this party um and uh so then molly and amy have like this heart-to-heart conversation uh you know molly visits amy in jail and they have this really nice heart-to-heart conversation and she ends up snitching on the pizza delivery guy who is <laughs> we just find out is the valley strangler i take umbrage with that you know the throwing shade on the valley but what can i do i feel like the valley is like the butt of jokes and everyone in hollywood so i'm calling Not for a hollywood, stop yeah. all right <laughs> enough and then the graduation scene you know like like any good high school movie it has to end in like an epic graduation scene so uh amy and molly are late they're borrowing jared's like hot rod with this amazing paint job um, you remember think, what his license plate says? No. What did it say? Fuck boy. Fuck oh. boy. Yes. Love it. Yes. <laughs> Can I just, and I'll, I'll, Please. at risk of sounding like a broken record, I will say that when they get in that car, another great needle drop. Yeah. Great Run the jewels, playing. right? Run the jewels. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, do you know that? Do you remember that one? It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, I thought that the driving scenes were incredible. And then they roll up to the graduation, crashing down the gates. I think Jared starts out giving Molly's uh, speech because she's late. So he's uh, going up there and saying, you know, as a woman, as the valedictorian, da, 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 kind of just he's really doing such a nice like a mitzvah for her, you know, like putting himself out there, kind of embarrassing himself for her. She shows up with Amy. She gets up on stage. She gives him a big kiss and, uh, you know, she starts her, her speech, which is, you know, I think she had something prepared, but then she kind of improvises and she thanks everyone for being so great and being able to like be in a class with them and get to know them. I thought it was such a nice scene to kind of wrap up the movie. And then, you know, we kind of end the movie with this drop off scene where Molly is helping Amy pack up for Botswana. Hope shows up and she gives uh, Amy her number 
uh, again, she's just like very awkward and clumsy and like, I, I, I loved it. I just, yeah, it was awesome. And, B, and, um, and Molly in the window is so hilarious. Oh yeah. She's hilarious. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I felt that, yeah, all of it going on. I was, I was here for it. The performances in this movie were terrific. I'll say that for the ratings, but, uh, I'm just, yeah, the last part of the movie really like is where everyone kind of shines. I thought, um, and then they go to the airport. They have this like sort of touching scene. And uh, you think that's sort of the end of the movie because everyone's sort of crying and they're parting ways. But then she like runs into her and then they ask if they want to go have pancakes. And she says, yep. fuck yeah. And then yeah, yep. that's how the movie ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She says, I can be the last one on the plane. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're early. Like, we don't I right. think a bridge too far for her to say, I'm not going. That would have been right. implausible to me. Yeah. I just yeah. want to say here with you would have been completely implausible, but right. just like, let's screw around a little longer. Cause now we, right. now we're not nerds. Remember that's the whole thing. Like now, right. like I, can't be the first I don't person. have to get yeah, there. Like, I exactly. I can just like roll up at the last minute and be like, what's up, you know? And, um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I didn't yeah. draw a connection to that, but that's like, that's a good one. I'm unfortunately, I'm the nerdy one who likes to show up at the airport really early just because I don't, I've, I've fallen <laughs> asleep at part. the terminal and missed flights before. So I have like major <laughs> travel. <laughs> so like, I was like dozing off as they're boarding. Well, then the getting to the airport's not the problem. I'm the problem. Extra cup of coffee. Is this like an intervention for me? Is it that what be. this is all it about? We, that's why we chose this movie. Um, <laughs> I will say though, just with those last couple scenes, Mm -hmm. I think the movie does two great, you know, final subversions. You know, you were talking about like every high school movie has to end with a big graduation speech. And of course this, this graduation scene has all the, you know, the fanfare and the car driving in and everyone stands up and cheers for them. But I was very relieved when, you know, when, when Molly got up there and gave, I mean, like three sentences, basically just, you guys were all good people. I'm like, that's it. Like that doesn't have to be this dramatic, but like what she learned over the course of this movie was, you guys are good people. I yeah. just, I looked out on everyone else. You guys are great. And then I think whatever, what you're talking about that last scene at the airport is another subversion. It's like, it feels like very, very, it reminded me of the end of Lady Bird, which Beanie Feldstein mm-hmm. was in, you know, a couple mm-hmm. years earlier that mm-hmm. has a very intense, dramatic airport scene, you know, before college, like a very similar kind of yeah. play, you know, plays yeah. out similarly. And like this movie think it tricks you into thinking it's going there because we see Molly alone in the car and she's getting emotional. And then all of a sudden Amy shows up and she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm early for the flight and whatever it cuts it out. Out and it's just another great subversion at the end of the film. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to give our ratings and scores for the film Booksmart. Be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. This week we're discussing Booksmart, and uh, now we're gonna we're up to the part of the show where we're gonna give a ranking to the film in terms of its content themes cast and crew and basically give it a, a ranking on a scale of one to five Jewish stars versus how Jewish it is. So, you know, we have two guests with us, Gina and Lynn. Do either of you want to start? Okay. So content, not explicitly Jewish, you know, mm-hmm. no one's in a sukkah, right. You know, no one's, there's no like facile jokes about Yiddish, all that stuff. Cast and crew, pretty Jewish, like even not explicitly, like, you know, obviously yeah. Feldstein guy who plays Jared, Noah Galvin yeah. nominally, yeah. And uh, Miss Fine, we don't know. Right. Like, we don't even really know about Nick. You know, like, we don't, we, just, we don't know. Um, right. But the, I, I, the, we know, we, and this is what I say to my husband all the time about um, TV shows. When I, even no matter whether something's implicit or explicit, depending, I, I always know, and I am able to turn to him and say there were women in the writer's room. Exactly. And in this case, yeah. there were Jews in the writer's room. Exactly. Um, exactly. 
But exp- but what to me is what makes this film so supremely Jewish goes back to what I was sort of talking around earlier, which is that, you know, these two girls and especially Molly are quite, she is especially, you know, we, we're, we're surmising that her character is Jewish. She's the quintessential outsider in the way that she's like not skinny, not blonde, um, bookish, whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's still not from the beginning, not an enti- not a total outsider, still the outside in balance. And by the end, everyone has kind of figured out how to accept each other. So to me, this is the journey of, yeah. you know, contemporary, at least Ashkenazi Ju- Judaism. This is it. Like this is, you know, 120 years after the Great Migration, we've we've kind of not perfect um, but we've kind of figured out mainstream integration and it looks like this high school on graduation. Right. And and for the thousands of years before we figured that out, that was still the struggle. How to be outside and inside, how to do right. it well without getting killed. Right. How mm-hmm. to do it being, being able to thrive. So like that struggle we were, that was the struggle for so much, for so much time before we got to this point. So I, I a hundred percent agree with Lynn and, you know, the point women in the writer's room, it was so clear to me that there were Jews writing this even before I, like, you could have figured that out even without knowing, but Mm -hmm. very clearly just like that felt really spot on and identifiable to me. So even though explicit Jewishness was not super high, um, you know, like Lynn said, no, no one's in a sukkah, no references to the Chagim, right? Like that wasn't happening, mm-hmm. but it just felt sort of Jewish through and through. And thematically, uh, or, or, con- or like you said, content wise, it didn't ring true for, you know, it didn't ring so Jew, I should say. For plot uh, points, for know. plot points. Plot and plot yeah. and explicit, yeah. Yeah. explicit and so, references. Any thoughts on like Jewish themes from, from both of you? Well, I mean, I mean, if you want to, you know, get sort of it's not stereotypical necessarily, but if you know, certainly like the value of the value of study. Right. Mm -hmm. The fact that they were the fact that they were bookworms was not devalued. Right. Right. It's just their lane. And that's that goes back to the movie Loving Them, you know, and that I mean, that goes I mean, this is a little bit like a little bit of a laborious um, comparison, but you know, that's our podcast. Mind- <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of my next podcast. Laborious. <laughs> sure, um, so Gina, you remind me of this and it's, and you know, it, it, it is true that like, you know, let's say, for example, in, you know, in Jews in, in, you know, medieval Europe were both insiders and outsiders, right. They were like, they were like the, the Kings, the Kings um, doctors and the King, yep. They handled the king's money and all that mm-hmm. stuff, like by day, yep. right? And by night, you know, the, they threw stones at them on Easter or whatever. Yeah, so, um, so, so it's not that, you know, it's their 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 bookishness and the, the treasurer thing with the principal. You right. know, there we go. There's yeah. my laborious comparison. No, it's there you not, go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's not, but they're not, but there's no by night. They're not actively um shunned or um or rejected. So right. that's what I'm saying about like the, the, the evolution of, you know, right, before, right. like, you know, you know, 
medieval Europe and, and before, you know, the great migration, this is all of history, right? Right now, real quick. <laughs> uh, and, and now, um, I really think that I really think it's, I don't know if the Jews in the writer's room were like, Hey, let's make this an analogy or a, or a, or a, um, uh, you know, let's make this parallel to Jewish, a Jewish journey. Um, but it, to me, it really does. Gina, anything thematically that we haven't covered? I don't think that we haven't covered. Y'all have been like such able stewards of this conversation. What Thank nerds you. is what we're saying. In yeah, the basically. Basically. Oh, yeah. Basically. I come on my own podcast to be called a nerd. Flashbacks <laughs> to high school. <laughs> yeah, but nerds are cool now. Nerds oh, are cool now. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Proud to yeah. be one. They Harry, say how about yourself? Where are you landing? I agree with a lot of what's already been said. I mean, you know, we talk about casting crew. There's there's definitely a little bit of Jewishness in there. And this whole concept of Jews in the writer's room, there, there literally were. You know, we, we confirmed that. But also exactly what you're saying. Like, it really felt like it. Like, you know, content, I kind of agree on, you know, what was said. Nothing so explicit. I, I kind of pulled some like, oh, there's like a reference to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, mm-hmm, claim that mm-hmm. as like a Jewishness. Yeah. And like, you know, little touches here and there that like, and even just like the portrayal of certain actors. You know, we, we spoke about... Um, What's their friend's name? Jared, thank you. We spoke about Jared and like he he definitely reads his Jewishness in a way that I think invades some of the, you know, I would call that part of the the text, the content of the film. But it is thematically where I I definitely see a lot of it. Like, I love the point. I I think, Lynn, you were making it just about like, you know, contemporary, like Jews kind of working their way into contemporary society and kind of like lending, you know, lend that sort of lending into both fronts. So it's not a movie about people that are so bookish and, you know, book smart, so to speak, abandoning that in favor of being these partiers. And, you know, they didn't both drop out of college and commit to a life of just partying and frivolity and like friends. Like it really is about a very healthy integration. I mean, that's the the movie tells us that so early on when we discover that all these other, you know, like we said, the jock types are all in great schools too. Like that, they give us our end goal right away because it's like, you can have both and you can be a modern Jew. You can be an American Jew. You could be a Jewish American. You can kind of incorporate both of those. And I really do think that thematically, like Jews in the writer's room, like that's a perspective that's in some ways born out of an experience with that an experience yeah. of, you know, having your, your faith, your culture, your Jewishness, and also, you know, existing as a writer in Hollywood. So I, I really saw that in there and, and I'll, I'll jump, we can save, I, I think we should save our ratings, you know, for the end, sort of go back to back to back. So people can keep track of, we, we've got four different ratings. There's a lot going on. <laughs> right. So before, so before I give the number, exactly, Daniel, why don't you tell us how you felt about content sure. cast themes? For sure. Yeah. I think cast and crew, um, y'all have already mentioned quite a few of the, the cast members are, are Jewish. I did look up Olivia Wilde is not Jewish. She's uh, of uh, English and uh, Scottish descent. And she's, uh, uh, she's 164th Sephardic Jewish, actually. Oh, I went okay. to the library and go and, team uh, Sephardic. <laughs> you did it. your research. I appreciate yep. that. Yep. I'll take the 64th. You know, that's that works. <laughs> we'll four count it. All right. So then I'm I'm changing my rating based on <laughs> that new information, <laughs> breaking news. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, content, like y'all said, there's not, there's not too much in, in the way of, uh, of Jewishness. Although you, someone said that nobody was praying, but we don't know for sure that at Nick's house party, that no one wasn't praying off in the corner. You know, maybe there was a minion that we didn't see going on. Was it a Friday <laughs> That's night? That's why we didn't see it. Was it Friday? Was the last day of school Friday and it was that night? Feels like it could have been. I think Maybe it was, it was Kabbalah Shabbat. Yeah. Maybe they, that's what they were doing. We don't know. Yeah, no. you know, I mean, we can we can give a point to every single movie we've ever discussed by that logic, but, but I'll allow it this one time. You can you can take, thank you, thank you, take thank you. the star. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think thematically, I think this sort of uh, you know 
that what everyone has been saying so far has been spot on about just like fitting in, not fitting in and then trying your best to assimilate. I, I don't know. I read some sort like some kind of assimilation in there where it's like, you kind of have to, yeah. you kind of have to dive in here and you have to you give away a little bit of what you held to be uniquely yours. And, but it isolates you a little bit. And that's like yeah. the struggle of modern orthodoxy. Uh, you know, you want to be orthodox, but you also want to be modern, you know, that sort of tension yep. is inherent in the title. So um, as someone who does that a little bit, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky situation, but um, I, I would also say, yeah, nothing super explicitly Jewish, but the themes are there. I also wanted to call out, I'm a big fan of the stretches. So like the mikvah stuff, the supernatural Gigi, yeah. um, you know, Jared, yeah. like we that. talked about, it. it's all there. Yeah. It's yeah. all subtext, but I, you know, yeah. I think it's there. So um with that, maybe I'll start it off. Start us off with some numbers. I'm gonna probably go like two stars as far as Jewishness. Um, yeah, uh, Gina, how about yourself? I was. <laughs> this is a classic Libra move. I was gonna go two and three quarter stars. Okay, for two point seven five. Almost three stars. Got it. So more Jewish than not. More Jewish than not. Okay, Harry. It's it's so funny. I really I, I came in here with a score in my mind that I was just like, I'm everyone's gonna come in so glowingly. We've just spoken so much about the Jewishness. People are gonna throw out their three and a half, their fours, their four and a half. And I can't wait to be like the heel with my lower score and without giving it away because I might change it in the next 15 seconds. I definitely was going to be higher than both of you because okay. the, the Jews in the writer room argument, you know, true, we mentioned it a bunch, like they're definitely and Olivia Wilde. sensibility. And 164th Jewish. Yeah, that might give me, I'll add a 164th of a star to my, uh, to whatever my ranking was going to be. But, um, but I definitely like, it is hard to make the sort of more Jewish than not, because, you know, the question that we were going to ask after this is, you know, good or bad for the Jews. And the prerequisite for that question is always like, is this an obviously Jewish movie? You know, if you're watching this as a Jew, if you're watching this as someone who isn't Jewish, like, are you reading this as Jewish? And the truth is, I'm not so sure. But I do think that it's not unfair to see Molly's character and definitely Jared's character as being sort of Jewish representation. So, you know, oh, I don't want to go too high. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with my gut. I'm going to go three stars at three and one sixty fourth stars for, okay. uh, for my Jewish stars. Out of five Jewish stars. That's my joke. That's my joke. <laughs> well, my score. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to elaborate, or should we just should we just slot it as as both of us? That's it. I'm old. Okay. <laughs> All right. So two, two, three and a 64th. That's the first and second time anyone's ever given uh, a, a 64th of a score to, uh, to do wow. some film. Yeah. And do you want a, a little bit more context around your rating or did Harry steal your joke entirely? Well, he stole my joke, but I have a similar argument, you know, yeah. that, um, that it, it's, um, well, part of it is what I, why I think it's good for the Jews, but we'll get to that. Um, but I, I do think because we live in a world where Jews are, you know, visible yet assimilated in many mm-hmm. ways. Um, I do think that uh, for a movie to have Jewish content or to feel, or for characters to feel Jewish is not a, an experience limited to Jews. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You That's know, so interesting. yes. So like, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm scooping myself a little bit because that's probably what I want to say about why it's good for the Jews. But what I what I mean in this context is that's why there's that's why I think in this day and age and because of what I believe is part of the takeaway of the of part of the metaphor of the film, whether intentional or not, that's why I believe that there is Jew, there can be more Jewishness in a film than we think that mm-hmm. is recognizable, not only to Jews. Mm. Well, that's interesting because I feel like 
the reason why I didn't go like to three and a half Magen Davids is that like, because I don't, I think that in order to see some of what we have seen and discussed, there does need to be an element of a Jewish experience. Like I think that non-Jews right. watching it would not pick up on these things. And no, so that scene. to me, right, right. That would have been, you know, if, if, if there were a couple more like, you know, crumbs to explicit Jewishness, then that would have been the, yeah. what knocked it over. Yeah. If, if you want to, I feel like we should just ask the question right now, you know, good yeah. or bad for the Jews, if you want to yeah. just weigh in, because because we're covering it already. So yeah, like, yeah, overall, good for the Jews, bad for the Jews, or kind of like you're saying, you know, who's really going to watch this and, you know, kind of weigh in on that, right? I think it's good for the Jews because I, well, I agree with you, Gina, that, that, um, that like some of my, like all due respect to my, you know, extremely preppy friends from high school. I also went to uh, prep school and was totally a, a sort of a Beanie Feldstein character, like the, like these, both of these girls, like not, not, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, not the cool one, but not uncool, like fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, completely understood the, uh, that felt this exact, exact insider outsider status. Yeah. Um, couldn't play lacrosse, but was, was invited to parties. Um, uh, I, I don't, but I don't think with all due respect that, you know, to, to my preppy friends that I, they're not going to, of course, they're not going to figure out like, Oh, it's a metaphor for the Jews who were doctors right. in the middle ages. Like I, you know, it's not anyway, but, but, but I do think that anybody who has been conscious in the United States in the circles that we have been in, that I myself have been in and want and consumed the media that um, has been mainstream for anyone to not even subconsciously, anyone in those in that milieu to not subconsciously sort of grok that the Beanie Feldstein character is Jewish and the Jared character is Jewish. Like they're, they're, they read Jewish. Right. And there is such a minority, forgive the expression of movies that are not insulting to those same characters in other settings, like the, that guy guy. And the nerd. Um, and also, side note, this is not about being Jewish, but like how far have we come since election, which I also love. Uh, not kind, not kind to Tracy Flick, right? Yep. That's the name, right? Um, yeah. And yep. so, um, and so that's side note, total side note, different podcast, but um, different episode. But, but like, you just can't sit there and not at some level in your cells absorb that those characters are Jewish and they are so likable and so sympathetic that you then also can't not absorb that you like them and mm-hmm. can't not absorb that someone's messing with those stereotypes and not subverting as we've, as we've agreed, but expanding or, or giving, you know, dimension to. And so then you walk out feeling a little bit better about the Jews. <laughs> I think you give yeah. people a lot of credit, Len, though. I think, you, I, I think you're little, giving people- in their If you like Booksmart also, if you like this movie- I mean, yes, and I appreciate the way I appreciate you saying like in this milieu, because there's a lot of people in this country who are not. Definitely. And so I think that that's part of what I'm wrestling with is that, you know, yes, people we know, people who we know, we know. Right. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. I think that that's true, but that's not most of the country. But that said, still think that this movie is definitely not bad for the Jews and is probably neutral. Because okay. of that factor that like folks who might pick up on these things are already picking up on them and know it mm-hmm. and have absorbed some of this. And if you don't know to pick up on mm-hmm. them, exactly. Right. Right. You're not going to What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I, I like a, like before I agree with what was said before me, for sure. I agree that this movie and Lynn, you helped me really appreciate just how kind it is to all of its characters. And I don't think that's exclusively the Jewish characters in the film, although, like you said, like we can obviously yeah. read them as Jewish, but everyone. I mean, we, we've been saying it since the beginning of the episode. All of these with the exception are, of the Valley Strangler. He's the one <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah. But you know what? He was such a nice guy in the car. He, like, he, right, he said, yeah. He's doing he did that. And he didn't right. kill yeah. him. Right? Exactly. He said, like, I'll right. let you That's guys right. out. And he, and he, he <laughs> taught Very them restrained. lessons about, right. yeah. And he gave them good tips on how, you know, not to get themselves killed. And then so, they snitched right. on him. So yeah, exactly. A little bit of Rahmanas. But I think everyone in the character, like, especially these, you know, you're coming in with this lens, you know, this lens from film history of just, you know, these high school caricatures and every single one of them is dealt so kindly and no one like, you know, maybe unrealistically so, but you know, you don't really get anyone that has like at least an intentional dark side, you know, obviously implicitly there's some bad stuff and we can, we've spoken about the Gigi sort of, you know, force feeding drugs to people, which is, you know, by no means an okay thing to do. But, but I really think that this movie washes them with such a kind heart, but that's sort of where I agree with you, Gina, where it's like, is it so obvious that like who would really walk away from this? And I I think you would walk away from this and say, you know, bookish nerdy people and other people in high school, like all are really good, deep people. And if that translates to Jews and if subconsciously you're reading some of these characters as Jews and it's like, I'm not going to judge any of these people that I encounter in high school or as high schoolers. I think there's a little bit of good in there. So I would say, you know, we don't usually use a scale for this, but it's almost like 60% good for the Jews in the sense Uh-oh. that it's not quite neutral, <laughs> but a little more. I know I don't want to introduce numbers. It'll come. Yeah, it's like more stuff. numbers. Also, <laughs> no. as like, as both, as someone who I think grew into being a party animal from book, like I'm a bookworm and a party animal. I really appreciate these characters and their own journey. Like it's important. Absolutely. You know, everything totally. in moderation, including moderation. That's right. <laughs> I like that. hundred percent. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, for me, I, I think I, I could go a lot of different ways. I think if you're reading it like, uh, you know, su- super subtextual and, and you are identifying that Beanie Feldstein and Jared are Jewish characters, which for this, for the purposes of this podcast is not such a stretch. Um, you know, they are coded Jewish as we like to say on, on the pod. Um, I think, yeah, it's, like everyone at the risk of sounding like a broken record, which I know Harry and Gina you'll like because I said records. Um, but you know, I think it's, I think it's fine. I think, you know, there's no negative, uh, negative associations with anyone. Like, the, like most movies, they have sort of a, uh, a, you know, a story and a, uh, what am I trying to say? They have a, a character arc, right? So they develop initially, we start out in a certain way. And then by the end, we're a little bit more fully formed and more, um, you have multiple pers- multiple facets to your personality. So I think overall, I think it's it's like a fine portrayal for the Jews. Um, but yeah. The first time I saw Booksmart, I was on a plane and it was so cute. Like not ideal because it's tiny and you want to, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. But I and but I noticed, I forget like the chron- chronology, but I noticed that um, another woman in my aisle, in my row was also watching it. And I honestly forget who said this to the other but whoever finished it second, like whoever the other one turned to and said, and like across the road was, and went like, wasn't that amazing? <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Especially yeah. women, like I just, women love this. I have to say like, I don't want to, I can't paint us all with a, a totally broad brush, but sure. like it's so goddamn refreshing. Yeah, sure. You know, to be like that Malala nerd and, and just see yourself 
or in other women, not just being the slutty one, the dumb one, the this, the that, you know, like I cannot tell you it's so it's just, it was just a, a breath of just a breath of fresh everything. Yeah, definitely. Like this sort of, I mean, it's safe to say that this is like a a, a really nice, like feminist um, high school movie. I feel like, Absolutely. you know, I, I think Clueless, not so much. I feel like it's, it's very dated too. like the whole, like her falling in love with her stepbrother, whatever. We won't get into it. You can listen to that podcast. It's dated. It's cute, but it's dated. Yeah. Or Moxie. Yeah. I like Moxie also, but it's so on the nose, you know? And it was just yeah. like, I, I'm like, you know, good effort, Moxie, but it didn't right. feel, it, I, it, I didn't feel it in my soul right. as, as, as just, um, well, it's, it's like we were talking about, you know, to bring this back to the very first conversation we had, you know, when we were talking about like Jewish movies that like, mm-hmm. will show Jewishness, but we'll show it like, yeah. Oh, like yes. the guy with payas is like, sure. you know, giving Sadaka or whatever. But like, yep. and that's, I think what Moxie is, but this movie just like, let's, you know, like you're saying, let's it's women, let's it's characters just have their own story without right. making a yeah. point of how, how, yeah. how shockingly this we are, look how new that it we is. are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. So Lynn, Gina, thank you so much for being here on Jews on Film to discuss Booksmart. Thank you for giving us the chance to yeah. that movie. This was a ton of fun. I wanted to ask if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about the Bintel Brief podcast. Yes. So uh, Bental Brief is the forwards foray into bringing its long lived uh, advice column into the modern era. So Lynn and I are the co-hosts, but we answer questions from everyday people and we go back into the archives with our archivist, Hannah Pollock, too. So we spend some time grappling with folks questions and then we bring in some history, too. And we just wrapped up season two and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Lovely. If you want, you can just like binge listen your way through both seasons. But I also know that they've highlighted they've um, they've highlighted certain episodes that touch on certain themes for the high holidays. Oh, nice. Um, so, so that's, you know, including Chuva and like just, you know, just relevant, um, relevant themes. And what's and, and they're really theme heavy. I will say just a plug to build on what Gina was saying. I think my personal favorite thing about the podcast is the history that Gina was talking about, where we we read um, and discuss a problem submitted by someone current, but then Kana mm-hmm. Pollock, the um, the the forwards brilliant archivist, brings up a letter from the past that on its face may not look like it has anything to do with the letter of, from the present day, but when we dig in, we find out it does. And you know, even yeah. a modern day letter about um, high schoolers playing Dungeons and Dragons. She found a letter um, from high schoolers in 1921 playing Dungeons and Dra- no, from um, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> a letter with a theme that really meshed beautifully, and so like yeah. it, it's 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 full of you know I think I hope you know warm and thoughtful advice, but also um, also history and also surprises. Yeah, and that is what makes us one of the 11 best podcasts out there, according to Lifehacker, might I add, while we're plugging Bental. That's amazing. Wow, congratulations. You should have started with that at the beginning of the podcast. We would have (laughs) approached this very differently. All right, well, thanks so much. We'll definitely put a a link to the the podcast in the show notes. And uh, Lynn and Gina, thank you so much for for being on the podcast. And uh, make sure to follow us on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and all those things. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks, bye. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Harry Ottensasser and Daniel Zana. 
Daniel and Harry edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.